Hi everyone, my name is Matilda Harrison and I'm joined by Cobra Sayadi. We are third year English students at Macquarie University producing this podcast for the Macquarie Student Writers Festival. As part of our degree, we're thrilled to have been given the opportunity to interview some amazing contemporary Australian authors on behalf of the university. We're very pleased to be joined by Stuart Everly Wilson this afternoon to discuss his debut novel, Low Expectations, which was published in February this year. Stuart grew up in North Auburn, which he pays homage to in his novel. He currently lives in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales with his partner and their dog, Aspro. Uh, Low Expectations is Stuart's first novel. Low Expectations is the story of Devon Destry, a 15-year-old boy from North Auburn who lives with cerebral palsy. To curb expectations from authority figures in his life, Devon calls himself hard of speaking and makes no effort to correct perceptions of his seemingly low intelligence. In truth, Devon is quick-witted, sarcastic and deeply intelligent, but his disability and the reputation of his family makes him a frequent target for bullying and an outcast in the neighbourhood. I will now read an excerpt from the novel. See, everyone in life has something going for them, some little thing of value that can be cashed in and turned into a portfolio. Beauty, physical strength, famous parents, lots of money, no conscience, no integrity, any little thing. A gift that if used properly can reap great reward. My gift is that everyone thinks I'm stupid. I'm far from stupid, but with my cerebral palsy, it's been the easiest thing in the world to make people believe I am. Having the mother I do hasn't hurt either. I may sound a bit stupid with my speech impediment and look a bit stupid with my funny walk and twisted hand, but make no mistake, I'm the smartest kid at John Smith High, end quote. As new revelations about his mother come to light, Devon's story unfolds as a Dickensian tale of resilience and survival in a broken system. Hi, Stuart. Congratulations on an outstanding debut novel. This novel grapples with a lot of sensitive topics, but in a way that never feels inauthentic. Can you tell us how the book came about and what the inspiration behind the story was? Um, wow. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about the book. Um, I've spent all morning reading it. So <laughs> I haven't been into it for I don't know how long. And I thought, I'm just going to go back in. <laughs> and uh, so I'm loving it all over again. <laughs> um, how, the inspiration, well, of course, a lot of the inspiration is from the um, place that I grew up in, as you said, uh, North Auburn. Um, Devon, well, he's, a, he's a, a mishmash of different inspirations, but what I will say is that I, I see, I stopped, I've been writing my entire life. I'm 60 years old and I've been writing my entire life almost. I gave up in my early 40s because I was just convinced I was rubbish and I wasn't getting anywhere and I was constantly leaving jobs to write full time because I thought I had something and um, I gave up overnight and I didn't think I'd ever write again, but uh, my partner and I um, uh, bought a guest house in northern New South Wales and a voice had just been building in me for a while. And after about a year of living here, I thought, I think I'm going to sit down and do something about this. And I did it with no expectations whatsoever, but it was just 
Devon's voice. I mean, the, the first page of the, the prologue of the novel is pretty much exactly how it was on the first draft. And I, I just had this angry outlier kid from North Auburn just chewing away at my insides and I just had to get him down on paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how it started, yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah, sorry, sorry, Stuart. Um, I guess I can also ask a follow-up question in regards to that as well. Um, did you ever feel apprehensive maybe about um, writing this novel because of its sub- subject matter as well? Was that something that you considered? Look, I can honestly say no, Cobra, because I had no expectations of it ever being published. And um, it took me six years to write. And that entire time, until I found, I learned that it was going to be published, I can say it was between me and my imagination and the word processor. And so I didn't think twice about it. I mean, I just couldn't. I mean, I really didn't because it was just so, I was, it was just, you know, me. It was just a story for me. I was guess I was doing the cliche writing the book that I wanted to read. Mm. But once I found out it was going to be published, I did get a little apprehensive about it. I really did. And, of course, I'm writing about a person who, among other things, has a disability, um, and I'm writing about him in the first person. And, of course, I'm writing about North Auburn, and I was also concerned about some of that as well because... Um, I didn't want to belittle North Auburn. I loved it and I loved my upbringing. It wasn't always easy and it wasn't easy for people like Devon. And uh, it wasn't easy for me, particularly once um, uh, it became known that I was gay. But, um, yeah, um, not not in the writing. I could do it just with a clear, burble it all out, spit it all out, just rattle it all off. It came out of me very fast, the first draft. And at the end, I thought, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it was incredible because I've written right through, mainly throughout my life, and I've never had anything just kind of come forth from me so quickly. Yeah. And, of That's course, nice. I spent six years polishing it. Mm-hmm. I needed a lot of polish, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, would I write in the sex, uh, the the in the first person about a, a character with a disability as my second novel? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but for that one, I was just blissfully free, and it was really just something to look after my own health as a human being, <laughs> sitting yeah. down again and and crafting it. I think it was it really came through on the page as well it's, uh, it was amazing just you know right from the start as soon as you start you know reading the novel it's like you're you're completely hooked onto Devon's kind of perspective and everything that he goes through as well because he's so full of energy and full of life as well you know he's he's not a passive character or anything like that at all um and you know there's so much that that happens within the first kind of chapter and first few pages as well um 
I guess I could just ask my next question is kind of related to that. Um, in that uh, early uh, from early on in the novel, Devin Devin is very transparent about his thoughts on on objectivity as well, and and he writes that objectivity is for those who don't have a point to make or a side to take. Um, there's only one side to this story, and that's mine. Uh, mm. I found that that um, quote really really fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about why is it was important for you to start the story this way and what it means to Devin? Well, I mean. <sighs> He was telling me that. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but often in the the writing of the first draft, and that's from the first draft, um, that line, um, everything that you've actually read from the novel so far has been from the first draft and pretty much unchanged. Wow. And um, I didn't know at times what was what lay two words ahead. And um, and that's, I don't know, it's just part of my psychology that this character I've dreamt up and is somehow inhabiting me and and um, I, I guess it, it, what it sets the tone for is a story where he's very brutal in his, um, his descriptions of other people, the language he uses, the way he judges people. And um, and it was yeah just a just a, a simple part of the the psychology of the character that got me back to writing basically yeah yeah well um, speaking of Devon I really wanted to ask about about Devon as a character because he's so unlike any other protagonist that we typically encounter in fiction you know. He lives in Western Sydney. He's from working class suburbia. He has a self-described faulty body, you know, a speech impediment. He skips school. He isn't really like on the straight and narrow. So I guess from a writer's perspective, and I guess you touched on this a little bit already, but how did Devon come to life? And I guess, like, why did you feel that his voice was the best vessel for the story to unfold through? Oh, boy, look. It wasn't something I intellectualized. You know, I've um, of all of the things I've ever written um, in in my past, um, I've never ever written about North Auburn. I've written a few short stories since I started working on low expectations, and they're much more focused on my experience um, as a gay kid. You know, getting into some kind of dangerous activity, risky activity um, in Auburn. But um, so I've never been interested in writing about it. And then I'm 52. I'm suddenly I, I feel I can make sense of this, um, this um, little area of Auburn on the um, north side of Parramatta Road or now Silverwater Road. Well, it doesn't even exist now as a suburb. And... Um, because so much of it had been destroyed over the years and, and um, developed and uh, a lot of the houses gone and um, lots, of the, um, uh, lots of the atmosphere that I grew up with, I just felt I wanted to kind of pay homage to it in that way. Um, how Devon, I didn't want to write about myself. I mean, I didn't want to write about, you know, a gay kid's, you know, journey there. I wanted to write about an outlier 
And so in that regards, I hope I haven't offended anyone, but, you know, it was he is a product of my imagination melded in from a lot of things that I've experienced and and um, and seen and you know I had my own little racket at Arthur Phillip High School selling porno magazines so you know things <laughs> like this kind of creep in <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, it wasn't it wasn't a conscientious I'm going to write a story about a, a disabled kid I had worked in disability. Um, uh, for nearly 10 years since giving up um, writing. Uh, the first thing I did was I got another um, um, nine-to-five job and um, got back into the workforce and um, I worked for a disability program for several years and for uh, uh, several different organisations. So disability was very big in my... ..has been very big in my life throughout my 40s. I was... I was very passionate as an employee mm. and um, I loved the work, the various uh, roles that I had in doing that. Yeah. And I guess it's, it doesn't surprise me so much that getting back into writing again, I want to write about a kid that has a disability and um, but I didn't want to write about me. I didn't want to write about my mother. I didn't want to write everything has been thrown up in the air or everything there has been thrown up in the air and kind of fallen back down in a jumble of bits of inspirations. And I've thrown it all in together to try and make a universal story. I wasn't writing something that was steeped in autobiography. I wasn't mm-hmm. interested in that. My short stories are like that, definitely. Yeah. But um, not for that. And, you know, I probably would have gotten terribly sick of it yeah. if I'd been writing it for six years. But Devin was so marvellous. You know, I love him. And, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but for people who do have spoken to me and who do stick with the book um, and don't get put off in the early pages of it, you know, they see that he's he's just got a beautiful heart and he's just a really tough nut and he's not going to take any bullshit from anyone. <laughs> yeah. And I love him. And he hates sport. I mean, I love him. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to resonate with, really. And he, he really is a universal character, like you said, in that sense as well. Um, I guess, uh, should the next question I wanted to kind of ask was in relation to uh, what I thought was one of the, one of the main themes um, that are explored in the novel, and it's about the um, the issue of speech and, and discretion. Um, so Devon Devon has a minor speech impediment and and is intentionally selective about when he chooses to speak as well. Um, so for him, I guess being a, a blabbermouth like his mother or his best friend Big Tammy is sometimes is contemptible as opposed to uh, the ability to hold on to certain certain knowledge maybe or secrets which kind of gives him a sense of control and agency can you tell us a bit about why you chose to give this particular characteristic or seeming flaw to Devon's character and what its significance it has um he's as he says to Mrs Novotny at one stage in the book people don't listen anyway he's he wants he needs to know more about them than they know about him. He's, I mean, he's, it's, he's had a traumatic incident in his life as a nine-year-old 
And that's what's caused him to shut down um, in several emotional ways for, for a, a portion of his life. And that was, you know, that's when he first um, identifies himself as being um, uh, mute and he's not, he's not interested in talking. He's, he's just, he's totally shut down emotionally. He's so wracked in, in pain and shame and fear. And, um, and then that stayed with him. Um, he's he's internalised a lot of the um, feelings that of his classmates at Auburn North Public. He feels great shame and, of course, he gets taken out of school and he gets to spend all his time with Krennic or most of his time with Krennic. And that's an opportunity where, you know, he can trust Krennic because no one listens to Krennic either. And he can just be himself. He can't, he can't show any of himself for fear of any vulnerability coming through, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he's really incredibly tough on his mother and he's <laughs> saying these dreadful things about her, but he loves her. He does mm-hmm. love her. And it's a fierce love as well, as people find out later in the book. But he's not going to, I'm not going to wear that on my sleeve for people. Fuck them. <laughs> and um, it, it takes him a little while. And then, of course, he does start talking, but then he wants to be selective about it. And it's his sil- the silences that he can turn on and off allow him to um, more effectively manipulate the education department to get to see him um, more easily um, taken out of main, mainstream education. He wants to hide out. Does that answer your question? Yes. <laughs> Am I rambling? <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I, I liked, um, just on that note, how you, you there was a quote um, that Devin says where he says he, he didn't want to talk just to fill these awkward silences to make other people more comfortable. He was only going to talk if he had something valuable to contribute, um, mm. which I think is so, like, admirable. <laughs> I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, I'm glad you like him. I yeah. really He's love a great him. character. Yeah. yeah, I really liked reading his um, vernacular, like really funny as well. Yeah, it's right. hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's so, so good. Yeah. Oh, let's tell everyone you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will. Yeah, definitely. Toto and I are, love the book. So it's such big fans now. <laughs> yeah, oh, fabulous, fabulous. I'm in this. Um, I'm in this very tense situation at the moment. I've written a, a, another novel. And my publisher has it at the moment and they've had it for about, gosh, don't tell them, it must be about two months. <laughs> and I haven't heard anything back. And so I just think, oh, God, they've seen what a fraud I am. And um, I'll be so happy <laughs> if, I get, if, it, if it comes up anyway. And then I'll feel a little more, you know, confident about myself and mm. being an author and everything. <laughs> um, so... We also noticed back in July this, I mean, you kind of also touched on this before, but you, you tweeted a picture of um, North Auburn from decades ago and, and you know, you said nearly everything visible has long been demolished. I wrote low expectations to pay homage to all that is gone. 
someone had to tell the t- sell sorry <clears throat> someone had to tell the story of this place it wasn't going to tell itself um I wanted to ask like how important was it for you to preserve this aspect of your childhood in your writing and do you think that Devin also does a similar thing like on his typewriter um look yeah but um just to tell you quickly about that photograph, you know, I found that photograph um, uh, after I'd written the book and I was just having an internet search and I went into the State Library of New South Wales and I put in Clyde Brickworks mm-hmm. and bang, there is this stunning photograph taken in 1960, so the year I was born, mm-hmm. and um, from helicopter and it actually shows our family house in it. Oh, wow. Three houses from the end. Our house was knocked down in about 1982 to make way for this massive warehousing logistics place. And to find that picture, that's just one of my most treasured things. And I'm <laughs> so glad I kind of got the setting right for the book. You know, the memory can get a bit fuzzy. But, you know, yeah. that holds up. There it is, the three chimneys and massive building and the brick pit, although the brick pit got much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so your, your question was about Devon's writing, was it? Well, just, yeah, because, you know, you obviously use North Auburn um, as a way of sort of like preserving that because you said it, it had all been demolished. And so yeah. it's in your writing. And I think Devon uses writing similarly, like he... Um, starts writing on the typewriter at first to just, you know, vent and sort of get this frustration out. But yeah. he kind of really sees the value in, in, in putting words on a page. Yeah. Yeah, he does. It's going to be one of his salvations. Mm-hmm. And um, absolutely, it's, it's, it's very nice the way that happens. I love the way. I didn't know he was going to move his room around like that. That's one of those situations where... You don't know what's happening two words ahead of you when you're writing and then suddenly he's decided he wants to move his room around and open the window and get the blinds open and move the wardrobe and get his typewriter squarely on the desk and have the desk right under the window. And, of course, he's got this view of this bus stop that he's loathed his entire life and he starts making sense of the street that's just happening right there. And um, yes, I mean, what a wonderful, um, what a wonderful salvation for him, indeed. Yes, I mean, he'll do, he'll be much more successful than I ever will be. <laughs> well, that's not true. Um, Thank um, you. On on a similar note of of writing, I was really excited to read Low Expectations because you know, like your main character, Devon, Great Expectations is also one of my favourite novels. Yeah, wow. Um, and your novel obviously shares a lot of intertextuality with Great Expectations, mm-hmm. not just in its title but also its themes. So I wanted to ask, did Great Expectations or just Dickens in general also have a huge impact on you as a writer and did that text play any role in shaping your work? Oh, look, you know, possibly as a kid... I saw, as a young kid, of course, I saw the um, the original version of um, the original uh, David Lean movie of Great Expectations. And, I mean, that is such a marvellous cinematic experience. And as a young kid, you know, the black and white 
and Magwitch in the in the cemetery there, and um, it left a big impression on me. I didn't read it until I was about eighteen or something. But um, you know, there's a kind of similarity about it in a way, and you know, just because so much of the factories that were, as you you'll have seen from that. Um, photograph there have you know the kind of gothic look about them and you know it's it's yeah it just all kind of fed in I didn't want to be laid labor it too much I realized that I just wanted I wanted great expectations to factor in the narrative there and I've, I've got some you know cheeky little kind of allusions to it. I didn't want it to be, you know, oh, is this like the scene from, oh, this is like, you know, when he's going in through the gates at, um, you know, Miss Havisham's for the first time and blah, blah, blah. But I just wanted that kind of feeling there. That, that And, and um, it's a marvellous book. And when um, Krennic, um, the, the whole business of Krennic, introducing him to it and to literature generally um, and as a way of them bonding there in Krennic's house I just you know I found that quite beautiful um, and um, and I loved I loved writing those scenes and I loved so I loved Krennic I love Krennic too I just think he's a a marvelous man and he's just like Devon in so many ways yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Um, what was there? Was there a real person that um, uh, Krennic was inspired by, or was he just, you know, a character that you came up with? In your, Look, in your I can, um, I can honestly say I did not have a Krennic as such, but there was a man who lived um, at the end of the street, and I, I didn't really speak to him much. And you know, I really do think I've kind of drawn a lot on, he was a, a man that I think was from Eastern Europe. He kept to himself, he lived alone, and he was just this presence that kind of struck me as a kid. And, you know, I think from that I've, I've kind of, um, I've invented Kranich. Mm. But not because I had, you know, I didn't have someone like that. I mean, I didn't really start reading until... I left school. I left school in fourth form and um, I got a job. And because I was commuting, um, uh, my, my father would get me some books. But, you know, I did not read. We did not grow up in a house with lots of books. Um, my parents, um, uh, you know, were loving, lovely people and weren't yobos, but they, um, there were no books in the house. And, um, and so that was something I had to find as I went out, you know, with my, you know, when I was uh, starting my first job at 15, at 16, um, that's, what, that's when I started to read. And that's when I got my love of reading. And I read solidly right from then all the way through my 20s and into my 30s. And then I kind of stopped. I mean, I used to be this, I'd be a sort of person who'd get off a bus and I'd just be reading on the way to where I was going to. I loved it so much and I loved yeah. the authors I was reading. And, um, and uh, but I, I knew with all of the authors that I was reading, I was never, ever going to be able to write a novel because they were all just so good. <laughs> and um, I tried and, oh, just, oh this is ghastly. 
Did you did you, <laughs> did you have a favorite a favorite book that you can remember as well um, from from uh, when you first started to get into reading or do you have an all-time favorite book that Oh, I have an all-time favorite book. It's Last Exit to Brooklyn by Hubert Selby Jr. That's my favorite book. I love it. I, I I really should read it again. I haven't read it for a few years, but it's very dark. Um, he's an incredibly creative writer. Just sentences like five words. The next sentence is a whole. The second sentence is a whole page and a half. After that, mm-hmm. I mean, I love it. And uh, but uh, in my youth, I mean, I started out reading just popular fiction, you know, like John Fowles and and um, uh, uh, um, Michener. I read The Drifters. My father bought me a copy of The Drifters and I read that. And as soon as I read that book, I thought, I'm going overseas. That's what I'm going to be doing. And, um, yeah, so, you know, reading really affected my, um, you know, as it does for everyone. It just opened up a total world for me. But um, when I discovered Patrick White um, in my early 20s uh, or 20, 21, I discovered Patrick White and um, I just fell in love and I just loved his prose so much. I just loved the humour, the language and these sentences that I just go back and read over and over again because I just love them so much and I just had to penetrate the imagery of them. And um, I, I read a lot of Patrick White. I shouldn't have done that because if I hadn't read Patrick White, <laughs> I might have thought I could write a novel sooner than I did. <laughs> but I'm I sure. thought, oh, no, oh, no, I can't do this. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people find your novel as well very, very, you know, inspiring and powerful as well. Um, thank you so much for your time, Stuart. Um, thank you for indulging us. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. And uh, congratulations again on your amazing debut novel. Um, oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely you. to meet you all. And uh, good luck with your studies and everything. And, um, yeah, any time. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Low Expectations by Stuart Everly Wilson is available to purchase now on paperback or ebook through the text publishing website or through your local book retailers. That marks the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye.